Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of the Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 390. Call any maneuver when I get out of a tight corner by being uncommonly clever. I laughed and began to separate the stones again. Another? Brayden sighed. Alas, I have an unavoidable appointment. I needn't hurry out the door, but I don't have enough time for another game, not a proper one. His brown eyes looked me over as he began to gather the stones into the velvet bag. I won't insult you by asking if you're familiar with the local customs, Brayden said. However, I thought I might give a few general pieces of advice on the off chance they might be helpful. He smiled at me. It would be best to listen, of course. If you refuse, you reveal your knowledge of these things. Of course, I said with a straight face. Brayden slid open the table's drawer and pulled out the handful of iron rings we had swept aside to clear the board for our game. The presentation of the rings implies a great deal. If they are jumbled in a bowl, for example, it implies disinterest in the social aspects of the court. He arranged the rings with their engraved names facing me. Laid out in careful display, they show you are proud of your connections. He looked up and smiled. Either way, a new arrival is usually left alone in the sitting room on some pretext. This gives them a chance to paw through your collection in order to satisfy their curiosity. Shrugging, Brayden pushed the rings toward me. You have, of course, always made a point of offering to return the rings to their owners. He was careful not to make it a question. Of course, I said honestly. Thrape had known that much. It is the most polite thing to do. He looked up at me, his brown eyes peering owlishly from the halo of his white hair and beard. Have you worn any of them in public? I held up my bare hands. Wearing a ring can indicate a debt, or that you are attempting to curry favor. He looked at me. If the mayor ever declines to take his ring back from you, it would be an indication he was willing to make your connection somewhat more formal. And not wearing the ring would be viewed as a slight, I said. Brayden smiled. Perhaps. It is one thing to display a ring in your sitting room, quite another to display it on your hand. Wearing the ring of one's better can be viewed as quite presumptuous. Also, if you wore another noble's ring while visiting the mayor, he might take it amiss, as if someone had poached you from his forest. He leaned back in his chair. I mention these things as general talking. End of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. So again, there's so much more going on in this ring game than the rules would suggest. And the mayor and Cloth are playing this delicate little social game of neither one of them admitting, neither one of them saying out loud, out loud Cloth, you don't understand how these rules work and I'm going to teach you. Right. It's all couched in like, of course, you already know this, but I'm just going to mention it. And you're going to be nice to me because I'm an old man who's, you know, you know, you don't want to offend. And Cloth goes, yes, of course, of course. And these are the kinds of conversations that I have a lot of trouble with in real life because I am not always good at picking up on people's ulterior motives or subtle meanings of things. I, I just operate much better when people are being straightforward about what they want. And so social situations that rely a great deal on reading between the lines are often lost on me. And this is definitely one of those. And Quoth is much better at it than I am. Well, it seems so complicated. Yeah. And I think in real life, these kinds of conversations are few and far between. Maybe if you're like in the, in positions of power where etiquette matters and where the stakes are very high, uh, maybe and like offending someone can have dire consequences. Maybe this kind of thing happens, but certainly among like family and friends and at work at the level I'm at just communicating clearly and honestly is always the best thing to do. 
this kind of subtlety, reading between the lines, uh, unspoken meanings and social interactions doesn't work. It's the kind of thing that only really shows up in movies and fantasy. I mean, I'm not convinced that that's true, but I do agree that I'm not in the kinds of situations where it is commonplace. But I think in some social environments and contexts, it absolutely is. And I will also say that I find it a lot easier to pick up on when I'm reading it in a book. And that's probably because the author wants you to be able to pick up on it. In this book, they've all but explained it. Like Foth and Brayden have all but said, okay, look, I can't admit to not knowing this stuff. And Brayden knows he doesn't know it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all, it's all pretext. And it's also them sort of establishing the parameters of their relationship, I think. Mm -hmm. Note that also Brayden hasn't let anything slip about himself, right? This is a rare situation where Foth is encountering someone who is perhaps better at operating than Quoth is. Normally Quoth is the, the operator in the room, but he is at a loss. Yeah, I was actually going to say that in a previous episode that this is a a character who is better at at playing this particular game, better at navigating this particular social environment than Quoth is. And there is kind of a mentor-mentee relationship forming, or at least that's the feeling I get. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what Brayden wants to engender. I am of the opinion that a villain who we like and who the the main characters like is a much more impactful villain. I know Jeremy is fond of like the cackling Dr. Doom and uh, Darth Sidious type, but I think that a villain who is like fatherly, a villain who is grandmotherly, a villain who we can't help but like and sort of see their side of things or at least kind of enjoy enjoy rooting for even though we know it's bad is a much more exciting villain or conversely a villain who we think is a good guy for a very long time and then the rug is pulled out and it hurts when we discover that this person that we liked and respected is actually the villain and has has the hero's best interest worst interest at heart is that's a much more like impactful and exciting reveal to me which is why i kind of hope that like ben you know if ben turned out to be the king chandrian all along that would hurt Right. And that would be great. That would be such a great cap to this. And that's why I think that, like, it's more likely that Brayden is more significant than just a kindly noble teaching quote the way of things. Uh, but that he's actually, you know, a, a he is a mustache twirling villain. And if anybody is going to twirl a mustache, it's it's Brayden because he seems like he has this flair for the theatrical and he enjoys it. But it's still going to hurt when we discover that he's. I was like, he's he's, he's going to have a speech even. where he uh, he twirls his mustache and is like, "Aha! I told you all along, and you never got." I me. did warn you not to trust me. Yeah, exactly that. I I agree with everything you said. I just think that like there are different different archetypes of villainy, and they all serve different functions in a story. But like, I completely agree that like a great a great archetype is the villain who is only revealed to be a villain late in the game and who the audience loves and trusts and who the hero loves and trusts. And also a, another great archetype, as you said, is like the villain who is like evil from the start, but who is also kind of fun and kind and, and like relatable in some ways. And one of the examples I can think of of that is the mayor in season three of Buffy, who is like, we know he's evil from the start. He's built up as evil in the, in the second season and revealed in the third season. But he also has this like weird affectionate father daughter relationship with with faith that makes him very sympathetic and he's like this kind of weird quirky you know leave it to beaver kind of guy but he's also you know like an evil demon worshiping immortal demon man yeah so it's that kind of thing is really fun 
first, this is one of the reasons I think Haliax isn't actually the big bad. I think that often, like, Rothfuss is very aware of these kind of things. I think Rothfuss is interested in telling a more sophisticated story than just, like, there is an avatar of evil who is doing evil for evil's sake. So I think that we're going to have someone who was built up to to be thought of as being very evil. Maybe even Cinder is not actually that bad. There's still no proof that Cinder actually killed, that the Chandrian actually killed the parents. It's all uh, circumstantial. So don't let that go. Um, but I think that it's likely that the people we think are bad are not, and people we think are good are not. Gotta love that betrayal. Yeah. Oh yeah, love a good betrayal. But also, like, it's fun when you have more than one archetype of villainy in a story. Not to go back to our old stalking horse of Star Wars, but you've got Darth Vader, who ends up being kind of a sympathetic villain who we're we're all, we're rooting for him to change and and you know become good. Especially in Return of the Jedi, he's you know framed as like a lot more conflicted and sympathetic. But Palpatine is just like the avatar of pure evil who enjoys being evil because evil is fun. And that works in star Wars because that's the kind of story they're trying to tell. I don't think that would work in a story like name of the wind that is trying to attach human motivations to the same kind of high flying fantasy moving and shaking that, that we see in, in like fairy But Even this book already has those multiple archetypes of villainy. Because so far we've had, even if it turns out that they're not, let's assume that we can take things at face value for a minute. Haliax and Cinder are like supernatural agents of evil. And then you've got Ambrose, who is a human agent of evil. He's like a shitty person, but he's a human shitty person. We can kind of understand on some level why he is the way he is. And he's not just like, he doesn't think of himself as evil for the sake of evil. He thinks of himself as like a hero. And so... All I'm saying is that none of these archetypes are better or worse than any other. They all serve a function in the story. And a story is often well served by having multiple avenues to approach the idea of good and evil. I agree that the archetypes are there and that they serve a function. I think that this is the kind of story that Rothfuss is trying to tell is not one where it needs, it's going to have an avatar of evil who is evil for the sake of evil. I think that everybody is going to have a relatable motivation. And I also think that Ambrose will end up being sympathetic or at least made more sympathetic before the end. Will it make you like this book less if it turns out that there is like such a thing as like an explicitly evil thing? Like if it turns out that Haliax is what he appears to be an avatar of evil. I have already gleaned a lot of enjoyment from this book and its series. And in a lot of ways, my enjoyment of it is not related to the subject, to the content of the book anymore. So to answer your question, no, I will not have enjoyed my time with the book any less, but I will be disappointed. I think that it is a more sophisticated, interesting story if it doesn't just have like a cackling darkness demon who quoth kills with a silver dagger. After traveling to many planets, uh, following the clues left by the Sith, I guess? <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. What are you going to get into, Jordana? Tomorrow's page! Oh. I don't, I don't have any more notes, so I was thinking this would be a good time to segue. All right. Of? The? Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard not to go off on a rant about how bad the third Star Wars. Didn't we do a whole Patreon episode about that? 
Yeah, I will. I I haven't been able to rewatch the new trilogy since it came out. It has actually harmed my enjoyment of the franchise. You were so like, close. I did not think it was possible to be so hurt. There was a thread on Twitter a while ago about like what's the most disappointed you've ever been, like at a movie theater. Like not what's the worst movie you've ever seen, but what's the most disappointing movie you've ever seen? And it's really hard to beat Rise of Skywalker. Like I think the only one that comes close for me is Prometheus, which is also like a movie that that I went into thinking this there's so much potential here. There's so many things working for this movie on paper, and then leaving the theater, I was like that was like the worst possible version of what it could have been. The Hobbit is close, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although at least like. I will say that there's like some enjoyment to be gleaned from watching the Hobbit and Prometheus. Like there are some scenes in those movies that are good. I can't think of a single scene in rise of Skywalker that I like thought was like, this is a good scene. This is worth me sitting through this movie. No. Yeah. There's no good scenes. There's nothing good in that. Dude, Babu Frick is the only good thing in that. And like the, the four or five frames when old wedges on screen <laughs> I like as well, but we were so close to getting out of this episode without this rant. Yeah, we were we were close, but it's not happening. This is turning into a forty-eight minute Star Wars discussion. No. Listeners, you can tune into uh, minute forty-nine on tomorrow's page of the wind. wind.